Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off this week. Collision reconstructionists are trying to figure out what led to a serious crash that sent a grandmother and her two children to hospital this morning. Our John Hua is live in Abbotsford tonight where it happened. And John, it's a busy area for children. That's right, Sophie. The collision happened right behind me and is now cleared. But this area is surrounded by three separate schools. You've got Eugene Reimer Middle School, Rick Hansen Secondary, and it's believed that the grandmother and her grandchildren were walking towards Harry Sayers Elementary. Now, parents say during pickup and drop-off, kids are flooding this area here, and uh, they're just worried that that's going to raise more concerns when they drop off their kids tomorrow. Like the children struck on this Abbotsford Road, Drew Muller was heading to school when he stumbled upon the tragic scene. So I was actually riding up the hill and I hear bang. The collision happened just after 8 o'clock Monday morning near the intersection of Wagner and Ridgeview Drive. Police say a woman in her mid-60s was crossing the street with her two grandchildren, just two and five years old, when they were struck by a Toyota Yaris. I turned the corner and I see a woman holding a child and then a boy about... 10 feet from the car who was lying there. He didn't make a noise. And then a grandmother, I think, who was underneath the hood of the car. The grandmother and older child rushed to Eugene Reimer Middle School, where they were airlifted to hospital. At this time, uh, the grandmother and the five-year-old remain in the hospital being treated by emergency personnel for serious injuries. The younger child was taken to hospital for minor injuries by ambulance. The driver remained at the scene and is cooperating with police. It was very sad to see this accident this morning. It's really heartbroken. It's worrisome. It's like, we're thinking about my kids when that, something like that happens. Now, some are raising the question whether the sun might have played a factor within this collision. And as you can see over the driver's side, the visor is down. We are keeping all avenues of investigation open, so yes, the sun may be an uh, uh, issue with respect to this incident. Dangerous crossing the road around here? Yeah, a little bit. Others say with so many children crossing the roads in different directions to head to and from school, something more needs to be done. Lots of people cross here, and lots of cars go to the schools, so it would be quite a good idea, I think, to put crosswalks along the road. Now, as you mentioned, collision reconstructionists were here throughout the day, but Abbotsford police say it will take a couple of days before they determine a cause. Once again, parents we spoke to say they don't need the answer to exercise both caution and concern during drop-off tomorrow. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, John Hua, in Abbotsford tonight. More information today from Vancouver police about an alleged parental abduction. The VPD alleged 34-year-old Shauna Chowdhury abducted her 9-year-old son on Friday in contravention of a court-imposed custody order. It's also possible she's using her old legal name of Virginia Lehman and she may have changed her appearance. Police say there's no indication that her son, Emerson Cusworth, has been harmed or is in imminent danger. But his appearance 
may also have changed. His hair may have been dyed. The last confirmed sighting of Emerson was with his mother and sister on Friday morning. The perimeter is, is you know, dealing with our partner agencies across the border, uh, also nationally and uh, in Metro Vancouver as well uh, throughout the province. Uh, we can spread information very quickly now as a police force, and we have done so. A very expensive lesson for a teenager and her family. RCMP say on Friday night, the teen threw a party in a rental home in West Vancouver. She booked the property online using her parents' credit card without their knowledge. And you might be able to guess what happened next. The party got out of control. When police arrived, nearly 200 teens poured out of the property. Neighbors say it's not the first time there have been problems with this rental home. Uh, buses were jammed with kids coming in from all over the lower mainland. And uh, we had the street up and down. The street was thick with cars. So we don't know where um, what else is going on in there. But it's not the first party that's been in that house. And so, as, as you know, families can't get their footing in our neighborhoods. Damage is estimated at $20,000. Police say the family of the teen who organized the party is accepting financial responsibility. When it comes to the financial mess ICBC finds itself in, critics cite the ridiculousness of a case weaving its way through the courts right now. A rare Ferrari that crashed into a pool in 2012. The insurance corporation has already paid out more than the car is worth, and it's still not fixed. But as Tanya Beja reports, BC's attorney general says exotic cars aren't the problem. According to court documents, the driver of this Ferrari F40 hit a utility pole in 2012. British Columbians paid heavily for the damage. ICBC says it has spent nearly $800,000 in repairs and the costs could escalate. Well, it's just outrageous. You hear this kind of money going into something like this and it just makes you cringe. And really, this should be an issue between Mr. Ferrari driver and his insurance company of choice. The repairs, which aren't yet finished, have already exceeded the value of the car, estimated to be worth $690,000 in 2014. The driver is alleging ICBC breached its duty to carry out the work quickly and in good faith. A corporation that is actually caring about the bottom line would have had this dealt with efficiently and quickly because their bottom line matters. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation says the court case illustrates the need for major change to ICBC, including more competition and choices for insurance coverage. BC's Attorney General says luxury cars are covering their own costs, but... The situation that I am concerned about that I've asked ICBC to address is where the person is not at fault in the accident who's driving the luxury car, where someone else hits that car and it's covered by that person's basic insurance, which is where I think the cost can really get out of control. And so that's something I've asked ICBC to address. ICBC is facing a $1.3 billion deficit. EB says it's not the luxury cars driving those costs. It's actually a, a significant increase in everyday accidents that people are having uh, and then the associated cost of dealing with those claims through BC Supreme Court uh, and the escalating auto body repair costs that are driving massive uh, increases for uh, everyday bills. The province wants public input on the insurance rate system. No doubt drivers will have plenty to say. Tanya Beja, Global News. 
Well, if you think the price at the pump is cringeworthy now, brace yourself. Not only could it go higher because of supply issues, but come April, a new carbon tax will be applied. Our Keith Baldry joins us in Victoria with more on what this increased carbon tax will cost you. Keith? Yeah, so if you know carbon tax, just one of many taxes that go to the price at the pump. You got the TransLink tax, uh, the provincial fuel tax, uh, GST, and the like. But the carbon tax is going up, and depending on what kind of car you you drive, you're going to pay different amounts. So look at uh, it's going up from six point six seven cents to a one point increase, but over four years that'll be an increase to eleven cents. Now, if you drive a compact car with sixty five liters, you're going to be paying two dollars and eighty eight cents a liter, uh, or two hundred dollars and eighty eight cents more uh, per fill up. SUV, 80 liters, you're going to be paying $3.54. And if you drive a truck with 128 liters, it's $5.65 at the fill-up. Over the course of, uh, if you fill up once a month, you're paying anywhere from $35 to $65 over the course of the year. The BC Liberals arguing today, this is piling on other tax increases, calling on the NDP to delay it, but that's not going to happen. On April 1st, the NDP will send gas prices even higher. Val Littman of the BC Chamber of Commerce has referred to NDP increases to the carbon tax as being part of a dog pile of NDP taxes. Higher property taxes, higher business taxes, and higher gas taxes. We are in an era of big NDP government, Mr. Speaker. Did the minister do any analysis of the dog pile of her punitive taxes, yes or no? British Columbians would like the members opposite to join us, to join us in defending BC's rights to regulate, to protect our environment, and protect the postal economy. Now, Keith, in the past, the sting of the carbon tax was a little easier to bear because it was revenue neutral. You would get that money back somewhere mm-hmm. else, but that's no longer the case. Well, it was originally tied to an income tax cut when it was first brought in a number of years ago, but it's been drifting away from revenue neutrality for some time. And the NDP government made it official in this budget. It's no longer revenue neutral, but they do have a, a tax credit, a credit scheme for low-income earners to get some of that money back. Sophie? All right. Thanks for that, Keith Baldry, in Victoria for us. Well, reducing vehicle emissions is a big part of Vancouver's renewable city strategy, being 100% powered by renewable sources by 2050. As such, the city is working on ways to make driving electric vehicles a more viable option. Ted Trenecki now on the changes being considered that could shift the transition into high gear. The electric cars are coming, and in many ways we're not ready for them. But they will be ready here. Concord Pacific is preparing for the deluge of long-range electric vehicles and is building the ARC, a downtown high-rise where every single parking stall will be wired for electrical vehicle charging. Avenue 1 and the ARC are our two current ones downtown Vancouver that have 100% of their parking stalls that are 220-240 electric volt plug-ins. Previously, the city of Vancouver insisted that all new developments include 20% of residential parking be EV ready. But now a city staff report going before council on Wednesday is recommending that all new buildings, be they condos or single family, must be 100% EV ready. Effectively, every parking stall except for visitor stalls will be EV ready. If you move into a new condo, they'll be charging infrastructure there for you. So that's the big part. Uh, We're also providing an update on our public charging network. So we're expanding both the level two offerings, like the ones you see over here, as well as DC fast chargers. So the city wants to mandate what the private sector is already doing voluntarily. In fact, Concord sees the EV readiness as a selling feature and claims it is in effect subsidizing the real cost of getting these stalls ready. It's probably in the neighborhood of three to four thousand dollars maximum. So it, it, the cost of putting it in is not a big, big, serious problem. 
what's really great as a, a developer is that we can put the infrastructure in ahead of time and, and keep that cost relatively low. The private sector is taking charge, as is Vancouver City, because Vancouver has its own building code and can. Both know that while the electric car has been talked about for years, 2018 will mark the arrival of affordable, longer-range cars. Ted Chernecki, Global News. A rally is getting underway outside the Park Board office in Vancouver at this hour. Strong opposition to a proposed bike path that would cut through a section of Kitsilano Beach Park. And that's where our Catherine Urquhart is outside the Park Board office tonight. Catherine's staff are due to present their recommendations for possible routes shortly. What is the controversy about exactly? Well, Sophie, about 50 people are gathered here right now outside the Vancouver Park Board offices. They're here, as you mentioned, to protest that proposed bike lane through Kitts Beach Park, this event organized by Wake Up Vancouver. The proposed bike path would be about three meters wide, running from Ogden and Maple through to Cornwall and Balsam. Opponents say it would encroach on green space and be a safety hazard. We just spoke to two commissioners about the plan. Here's what they had to say. The park commissioners have had a chance to read the report and we're going to hear the report from staff and then uh, we'll make our decision, the best decision we can. We're hearing a lot of community interest, which is a good thing. It means people are passionate about their parks, in particular to Kitts Beach. Um, but there does seem to be a lot of confusion about the options out there and I think it's really important that we get some clear information out there for the community tonight. Now, commissioners are expected to vote tonight. However, that's not a surety. 24 speakers are uh, expected to talk first, and then they will consider a vote. Back to you. All right, we'll see what happens. Thank you, Catherine. A gorgeous day to get outside for a bike ride. Meteorologist Christy Gordon is at Barnett Marine Park in Burnaby taking it all in. And we broke some records today, Christy. We certainly did. So, yeah, a lot of people taking advantage of the heat today. You can see families behind me barbecuing. The smell of barbecue so nice. Let's check out some of these temperatures. So we broke five records across the region, 18 in West Vancouver. It was a little cooler by the water, certainly at the airport, but many areas inland uh, warmed up to 19. Look at Pitt Meadows. That was a record at 21. White Rock, 20 degrees with a record. Surrey at 22. We don't have any stats in Surrey, so that could have been a record, uh, but but um, we just don't know that Abbotsford, 19 degrees. So incredible heat. When I come back, though, we'll talk about the rain. It is winter, after all. Uh, we'll show you when that's expected. So still winter, hey? All right. Thanks, Christy. A massive systems outage at Air Canada caused flight delays and frustrations for passengers right across the country today. The glitch took several hours to restore, creating a major backlog. Jeff Hastings has more on what happened and the likelihood of it happening again. For much of the morning, Air Canada jets are idle, grounded by what the company is calling a computer telecommunications issue. Translated... A day of delays, long lineups, late and cancelled flights for passengers depending on Canada's largest airline. My flight was supposed to leave at 9.45, it's now like 20 to 11 and it's too late to check in. It's a worldwide glitch. Air traveller anger over the delays is a universal language. Disaster, says one. Stuck, says another. And a first for at least one passenger, a handwritten boarding pass. It would be nice if they can say something. You know, just let people waiting like that and... Whatever. They never announced anything. The challenge we have here is that Air Canada are not notifying people what is actually happening. 
Aviation observers expected this sort of issue, and not just with Air Canada. Airlines around the world are struggling to replace aging, sometimes failing IT infrastructure. These legacy systems are fine if they don't break down, but at a certain point you have to replace them. We've been in aviation for 100 years. How did they do it before computers? Don't they have a fail-safe for that? What the heck, right? Airports can only manage the backup until Air Canada takes off again. It makes for a difficult day, and uh, if you're a traveler, that's not what you want. But uh, people are resilient, and so on a, on a day like today when the unexpected happens, you often see the best in people. Air Canada is the largest air carrier to fly out of YVR, so when their systems go down, it affects a great deal of people. This is the end of the lineup right now. It's finally starting to really move five hours after the outage occurred. This is the second system outage for the airline in less than two weeks. Jeff Hastings, Global News, Vancouver. Right now, though, a woman from the Whistler area has been slapped with a hefty fine after demonstrating a noticeable lack of patience and dangerous driving on the Sea to Sky Highway. It happened last summer, and it was all caught on dash cam. Grace Key tells us what unfolded and how police already knew about the incident before they saw the tape. This dash cam footage shows one frustrated driver along the Sea to Sky Highway. It was taken last July during a driving lesson as the student and instructor were heading south from Pemberton. You see the driver behind them. You can hear her honk and then wave her hands in frustration. The instructor says they were going the speed limit. Basically bullying our students. She, she was flashing headlights, uh, waving her arms about and even putting on her right turn signal to ask us to move over off the road out of her way. This went on for several kilometers. At one point, you see the driver flashing her lights, and then she pulls out her cell phone while driving to take a picture. Finally, she's had enough and overtakes them at an intersection. You can see in our footage, she's taking pictures of us while waiting at a red light. The red light turned to green, and she illegally overtook us from the right-hand side, through the intersection, crossing over uh, white, solid lines. The incident didn't end there. The frustrated driver called police to complain about the instructor. The police called the driving school, and that's when the video was handed over. The driver also called the school, complaining they were making her late for work. She told our uh, office manager uh, that, yeah, in fact, we were in her way the whole time. And how dare us be in the way and... Why are you using the road? Joanna Jane Harrington was cited for crossing a solid line and use of electronic device. She failed to appear in North Vancouver Traffic Court Monday morning, asking instead for an adjournment for child care reasons. The judge denied her request. Shame, shame on her. That's what I say. The way she was treating our driver, our student in the car, yeah, it was uncalled for. Harrington did not return our calls regarding the incident. Her fines total close to $500. Grace Key, Global News. Well, there could be a solution to a street parking crunch in Metro Vancouver. Metro's engineers and fire chiefs say several hundred spots could be added if the no parking clearance around fire hydrants was scaled back. Right now, vehicles are expected to stay five meters clear of hydrants, but engineers say that could be cut in half to 2.5 meters. This would be especially helpful in Surrey and Coquitlam, where densification has left residents struggling to find places to park. And the move has the support of the province's fire chiefs. It's looking at the status quo and it's saying, do we really need that? 
and where possible we can give something back. And there's a benefit to, to the neighborhoods for parking. It's an important, it's an important uh, asset to the community and we're able to give that back to them without compromising their safety. The proposal is now in front of the provincial government. If approved, the bylaw will need to be changed. Well, everyone is feeling the pressure at the pumps these days with rising gas prices. Who can afford to pay any more? But one BC men's man says that's exactly what's happened to him. Our consumer reporter, Andrea, has been following the story. She joins us now with more. Anne? Yeah, not a good situation given the high price at the pump. Thanks, Sophie. Well, it's a case of deja vu for a BC man. He's fuming over getting overcharged at the pump. The Pitt Meadows resident says when he finished filling up, the price on the fuel dispenser kept climbing. And it's not not the first time it's happened to him. Well, 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 Petrocan, here we are again. The pump is off. And yet, once again, we're being charged away. Not a situation any motorist wants to experience at the pump, especially with the rising cost of fuel. But that's what Chris Bradford says happened to him last month at this Petro Canada at Harris Road and Lowheat Highway. Bradford says once he stopped filling up his gas tank and pulled the nozzle out, the dispenser continued to run and charge his credit card. And he captured it all on his cell phone. The pump was still charging me. I was not receiving any fuel, and but my dollar value was going up. Bradford says he was overcharged close to $1. We know the prices are going higher, and they're still charging us for what they're not giving us. Perhaps more shocking, this is the second time in less than a year this has happened to Chris Bradford at the same station. Last May, Consumer Matters caught up with him when he warned consumers about his experience. Bradford again using his cell phone to record and show that once he pulled the gas nozzle out, the pump kept running. When I was watching it happen, the first thought through my mind was, I, I can't believe what I am seeing. How can this happen twice? Since Bradford says he got the runaround when he messaged Petro-Canada the first time this happened, he says he didn't bother reporting this latest incident to the company. Instead, he came to Consumer Matters. We reached out to Petro-Canada's parent company, Suncor Energy, and were told that Measurement Canada, a federal agency, actively monitors the marketplace to ensure regulations are met. Suncor Energy stating, We had our Measurement Canada certified vendor go to the station to inspect the pumps. As a precautionary measure, we had all the pumps checked. They were not able to replicate the scenario that was described at the pump. According to Measurement Canada in BC, 2% of gas pumps inspected in 2017 were found to be measuring inaccurately. Of these, 59% were found with measurement errors favoring the consumer, and 41% were found with measurement errors favoring the retailer. As for Chris Bradford, from now on he says he'll go out of his way to fuel up at a different station. Once was too many, twice is definitely too many. I will not be filling up or getting any product from this station again. Again, this story is a reminder to keep your eye on at the pump and check your receipts. Suncor Energy also told us that the owner of the Petro-Canada in question wanted to reach out to Chris Bradford, but Chris Bradford says he has yet to hear from the owner. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can reach me. There's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks, Anne. New details tonight in that chopper crash in New York City that left five tourists dead. This video, taken just moments before the helicopter plunged into the city's East River, all five passengers lost their lives. The pilot was the only survivor and told investigators today that a strap from one of the passengers' bags may have wrapped around and pulled an emergency fuel cutoff lever. 
Crews have now recovered the wreckage and are looking into possible contributing factors to the crash. It has been nearly 25 years since the O.J. Simpson trial captivated the world. The former football star was acquitted for the double murder of his ex-wife and her friend. And now a television interview over a decade old has been unearthed. And in it, what sounds like a confession. It's very difficult for me because it's hypothetical. I know and I accept the fact that people are going to feel whatever way they're going to feel. <laughs> in his hypothetical play-by-play, O.J. Simpson tells Judith Regan he and a friend named Charlie went to Nicole Brown Simpson's house on June 12, 1994, the night she was brutally murdered along with her friend Ron Goldman. As things got heated, I just remember Nicole fell and hurt herself. And uh, this guy kind of got into a karate thing. I remember I grabbed a knife. I do remember that portion, taking a knife from Charlie. And to be honest, after that, I don't remember. I think everything was covered, would have been covered in blood. Simpson alternates between talking about Charlie and speaking in first person. You write about removing a glove before taking the knife from Charlie. Uh, you know, I had no conscious uh, memory of doing that, but obviously I must have because they found a the glove there. The former football star then says he and Charlie fled and tossed the bloody clothes. I think Charlie is OJ. This is no hypothetical. Christopher Darden was also part of the special and one of the prosecutors in the criminal trial where Simpson was found not guilty. I think he's confessed to murder. This idea that it was a confession interview is a joke. Sunday, Simpson's attorney, Malcolm Laverne, claimed Regan was leading Simpson through the interview to push book sales. This was scripted by Judith Regan, the publisher of the book. And Mr. Simpson went along because, quite frankly, he got a lot of money up front to go along with this. More than a decade later, Laverne says his client is moving on. Still, the public may not be ready to do so. Everybody is going to give their opinion. He was guilty or he was purging his guilt. Whatever you want to take from it, I cannot control it. In a statement, Judith Regan tells CBS News, as anyone can see from his responses on the special, I did not feed him lines. An attorney for Ron Goldman's father said, while justice has eluded our family, Fox Entertainment enables everyone to make their own judgment. In a 1997 civil trial, Simpson was found liable for the deaths of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman. Vladimir Dutin, CBS News, New York. The fashion world is mourning the loss of one of its pioneers tonight. French couturier Hubert de Givenchy has died. The designer revolutionized fashion with timeless looks, most famously Audrey Hepburn's little black dress and breakfast at Tiffany's. The label bearing his name was founded in 1952 and was sold to a French luxury conglomerate in 1988. He remained at the head of the fashion house until 1995 when he retired. He was 91 years old. Well, just call him a four-legged superhero. Angus is a bacteria-sniffing dog combing through the halls of Vancouver hospitals tracking down harmful C. difficile. Now, as Linda Ellsworth reports, Angus has been so successful at sniffing out superbugs, he's being loaned out to other hospitals across the province. <laughs> the wonders of Angus, the Springer Spaniel's magnificent nose, were shown off in all its glory at Kelowna General Hospital today. The work that Angus does is essential. It's giving us a whole new way of looking at our hospital environments. 
in particular where the superbug C. difficile is concerned. It's a bacterium that can cause life-altering illness, even death, in immune-compromised patients. Every health authority has C. difficile. It's quite common, but it's something we want to eradicate, and we can't necessarily find it that easily. But Angus can. Teresa, a C. difficile survivor, trained him just like any working sniffer dog. Good job, buddy. To the dogs, this is just a game. Bomb dogs really don't care about bombs. Drug dogs don't really care about drugs. He doesn't really care about C. diff. To him, this is just a game. The program, the first of its kind in the world, started a few years ago at Vancouver General Hospital and worked so well helping to reduce infection rates that Interior Health asked if Angus could check out their Kelowna facility, where he found the superbug in a number of unlikely places. One was a portable cot, so... So that's the kind of thing. So it just shows how easily you could maybe perhaps miss underneath or close to the wheels or something that you traditionally wouldn't necessarily even get to. Even if Kelowna doesn't get a dog of its own, what's being learned is invaluable. He's on the units and he's teaching us different ways of cleaning and disinfecting, as well as the different areas for uh, where the reservoirs are. The program isn't only attracting interest from within the province and the country. The United States, Europe and Australia have also been inquiring. And Angus is only too happy to oblige. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. The Nanaimo Hornet Rugby Club had a reunion for the ages this past weekend. A trophy belonging to the club went missing long ago. Everyone had given up on it ever being found when suddenly it turned up. And you'll never guess where. Kylie Stanton reports. Looking in the windows. and You know the saying, one person's trash is another person's treasure? And then there it is. For Eric Willis, this was the ultimate find. You know, over 118 years old. That's, uh, that's pretty impressive to me. A little bartering at shoulder-to-shoulder collectibles and $420 later, it's his, at least for now. Well, my God, like Nanaimo League rugby. I'm like, how is that here, you know? Who knows? Willis turned to Facebook for answers, posting photos to the Nanaimo Hornets page. Basically just said, hey, uh, is anybody interested in this uh, cup? Interested is an understatement. My eyes were like, wow, uh, that's pretty cool. No one knows how or when it went missing from this trophy case, but photos of the cup here in the clubhouse date back to 1910. That's exactly right. If only this cup could talk, we have no idea where it's been. But they all had an idea of where it was going. And so we're going to get together and going to hand the cup over. And where better than at the biggest rugby event of the year. But the excitement inside can barely compete with this. We won't play you anymore. A reunion more than a century in the making. Absolutely wonderful. About time. It's about the rugby and the history and just the love, man. We all have it. Kelly Stanton, Global News. Vancouver boy Ryan Reynolds throws his star power behind an iconic Vancouver landmark. We'll tell you more after Christie's forecast. And Christy Gordon is down at Barnett Marine Park enjoying this beautiful day uh, and record-setting day, Christy. 
Yes, absolutely. What a weekend to kick off spring break for some schools across the Lower Mainland. Sophie, today we broke well, we broke records yesterday, and we certainly did today. I showed you those uh, earlier. There are lots of families down here enjoying. Uh, you can see I have my jacket on. Temperatures have certainly cooled off now that the sun is setting. But yes, incredible conditions. I want to show you some of your tweets. Crohn's guy Vern sent us this one. I like uh, how his. Uh, Little uh, system here actually tells them what's coming up in terms of weather. And I need to get myself one of those. It'll make my job a lot easier. Thanks to Jana for this one in Langley, 21 degrees. And here's a look at uh, Angus James in Yarrow, 23 degrees. So incredible conditions today. Uh, highs across uh, Vancouver Island at Nanaimo at 16, but a record on this day would be 18 for you. So you didn't break any records across the island. Port Alberni, a record for you would be 19. But we did in Bella Coola at 16 degrees and nice warmth right across the region this afternoon. We do have a change on the way. The general flow is towards the north, but it's slowly creeping towards the east, meaning that tomorrow morning the rain will develop through the morning hours across the south coast. In the interior, it will push into your region, including the Coquihalla. Snow expected there tomorrow evening, and we will continue to spread across the region right throughout the day tomorrow. So most inland regions tomorrow will be just a transition day. You'll start to see a bit more cloud. Temperatures will drop a little bit, but nice warm Look at that, 13 in Kamloops tomorrow. It'll be coastal regions that will certainly feel the effects of that system with periods of rain. A big drop in temperature as well. A chance of showers on Wednesday, but a nice mix of sun and cloud Thursday through Saturday. Happy birthday to Ken Diamond celebrating 101 years. Yoke Tong Jung celebrating a birthday. And Florence Olofsson, 105 years. And happy anniversary to Magda and Ferdy Baglow. The... Uh, train just about coming by here Sophie you can see hear it probably in the background but a great day down here and it's so nice to get outside but it is still officially winter uh, so we do have some cooler temperatures on the way all right thanks very much Christy she probably can't hear me because of the train that train was rude <laughs> it was all right we'll get to Squire in a sec but first born and raised in Vancouver actor Ryan Reynolds is a big supporter of the city and now he's throwing his name behind saving a Vancouver landmark. Reynolds tweeting out a link to the fundraising page to help save the Rio Theater. The Deadpool actor adding he plans to be buried there. The Rio has so far raised $135,000 from almost 1,600 backers, but that's still only 9% of the $1.5 million the owner needs to raise in the next three weeks. All right, Squire Barnes joins us now. Yes. A look at what's coming up in sports. And then you have more for us later on, too. We'll have more. Mm-hmm. Barclays Marathon, or mm-hmm. Barkley Marathons, to be Darkly more precise. Marathons. They're coming up. Um, and, of course, Gary Robbins of North End mm-hmm. has run it twice. This is the insane race. It's 100 miles through the woods of Tennessee, and uh, only 15 people have ever finished. All right, so I've got to get this out of here. <laughs> he's a little under the weather, but he's a trooper. I'm a trooper. I'm going to put the Kleenex as far away from other people as possible. Okay. Take that with you when you leave. I, I will. I'll burn it. Um, the Vancouver Canucks skate into the abyss. Continues tonight down in Los Angeles. 7.30 start for draft Knicks. They would like to see the Canucks keep on losing. Get to the bottom of the standings and have the best chance to win the lottery. And the way they've looked of late, those people might get their wish. They lost one nothing in Arizona last night. one nothing to Arizona. I know they have injuries, um, but you got to get better than that against Arizona. Anyway, since Besser went down, no wins, and in the last 20 games, just six for Vancouver. Okay, so we mentioned before, 
Ovechkin going for a milestone. The milestone is 600 goals in a career. Now he's at 598. Make it 599. I think he put this one in off Tyler Myers on the five on three. Take a look. Yes, off his skates. So that made it uh, one nothing. Now it's one one. Ovechkin for the milestone goal. Not the big wrist shot from outside the faceoff circle. Just finally knocks it in. But that is 600, the 20th player to do so, the most ever for a Russian-born NHL player. And. The finish, Alex Ovechkin, if you like, Patrick Liney. And how does he get this wide open? You guys have heard of Patrick Liney, right? 41st of the year, 2-2, third period, late in the third period, Winnipeg and Washington. Now, we mentioned Ovechkin, so let's take a look at the top five Russian-born goal scorers in NHL history. Ovechkin has reached 600. Two former Canucks on that list, Alex McGilney and, of course, Pavel Bure. So this weekend's Rugby Sevens at BC Place, Another example to the world rugby body, you got to give Canada the contract when our current one runs out next year. Give us a new one. Vancouver is bidding on four more years starting in 2020. Attendance was up this year. Crowds arrived early on Saturday. That was a record for early morning games. Fiji won it all. They were like the home team besides Canada. A lot of Fijians there. They loved it. And Fiji was fun to watch. Including our own Chanel Patel. Oh, yes. He was there, too. With the baby blue flags, there was a lot of those going around the uh, stadium. Uh, Cross-country skier Brian McKeever is one of the best Canadian athletes out there. He is 38 years old, but still a dominant force in cross-country skiing when it comes to the Paralympics. He's been gradually losing his eyesight since the age of 18. This guy is so good. In 2010, he was named both to the Olympic team and the Paralympic team. Unfortunately, he didn't get the ski in the Olympics because the coach made a switch and put someone else in instead. But today he did something no Canadian has done before. What was that? For the 14th time, he won a winter Paralympic medal. Most ever. That's his guide, Graham Nikikawa, with him. Nishikawa and McKeever crossing your line first. So that's 11 gold, two silver, and one bronze, and he's not done. He could win more medals before the Paralympics is over in South Korea. Remember when Eugenie Bouchard was the toast of the tennis world? Wasn't that long ago, four years ago. She was a Wimbledon finalist and ranked number five in the world. Now, she is ranked number 116. She has been abandoned by sponsors and her agent. Her agent left her two weeks ago. That makes four agents who bailed on her since 2014. Also, Four sponsors who were with her last year did not renew for 2018. There you go. But the guy who asked her out on a date on Twitter, he's still... Well, I think he was happy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here's today's snow report. A lot of snow on those mountains and spring-like skiing conditions the last couple of days. A base of 298 centimeters Whistler Blackcomb. Grouse at 445, Cypress 430, Sasquatch close to 400, Revelstoke a base of 263 centimeters, Manning Park 216, Powder King 277, Mount Washington 235, Southern Interior Big White at 321, Silver Star 263, Sun Peaks 237, Apex 295. There he is, Gary Robbins right behind us. So he um, is a bit of a glutton for punishment. Well, he's a great, uh, great long-distance runner, a great trail runner, uh, mm -hmm. but this is the ultimate long-distance trail race, if you like, uh, in the mountains of a state park in Tennessee. 
As you mentioned, only 15 people have finished. Never a Canadian, but he's come close his first two years, and he's going to go out it and do it again. Frozen Head State Park for the third straight year. Why? Because <laughs> I can't finish the stupid race. <laughs> now, he almost finished it last year, but fog on the final lap led him off course and six seconds short of the 60-hour cutoff time. But he won't make that same mistake this year. I have the physical and mental capabilities, and now I've got the experience of doing almost 10 laps through that forest to recognize the terrain enough so that I don't need to worry about the map and compass as much while I'm out there. He will make some adjustments this year in calorie intake and also adding music through the first four laps, not just the fifth one. Uh, I'm 41 now, and I find that the, uh, the great 90s mix always works really well for getting me going. Anything out of the old Seattle grunge era. One thing that hasn't changed is using Grouse Mountain as his training ground. I, I basically do laps on Grouse Mountain, the BCMC trail, thankfully stays open through the winter. My final big workout, which I did uh, Thursday into Friday of last week, is a full overnight session all by headlamp. And I did seven and a half laps of up and down of the BCMC from eight o'clock at night until 6.30 in the morning. In 32 years, only 15 runners have finished the Barkley. One of the biggest barriers to finishing is not your legs, everyone's in great shape. It's your brain. You can't possibly physically move your body for 60 straight hours over some of the most challenging terrain imaginable and not come up against hallucinations as you go. And for me, the hallucinations always start about 48 hours in. It's usually the second night, things start to get a little bit confusing. <laughs> because the start-finish line is at the campsite where all the runners stay, everyone has what essentially is a pit crew. This year, Gary's includes last year's winner, John Kelly, and as always, his wife, Linda. Linda is the most important person in my Barkley pursuits, period. Her herself being an experienced ultra runner, she knows when someone just needs a, a kick, in the, kick in the butt uh, and when they need to be coddled and held a little bit. He ran last wow. year, and it was in early April. His toenails didn't come back until September. Oh, jeez, and now he's about to lose them again. And oh, when they goodness. came back, that's when he knew it's time to start training for next year. All right, well, hopefully he'll have some good weather around here to do that. Uh, Christy, one more time, what's our forecast looking like? Well, a big change for us tomorrow after 20-degree weather today, down to 12 with rain tomorrow, Sophie. But uh, showers on Wednesday, and then we're back to sunshine, looks like Thursday through Friday. As long as we can see it. Thank you, Christy. We don't... It's okay if it's not super warm. I hear what you're saying. Okay. That's all the time we have for tonight. Thanks for watching. Have a good evening.